podcast at DC is brought to you by The Lab at DC, an applied research team in the executive office of the mayor for the District of Columbia. We're working every day to apply scientific insights and methods to improve district policies and programs. Learn more at thelab.dc.gov. Deadlines. The word itself probably makes you a little anxious. And when the deadline is something like renewing your eligibility for social assistance, deadlines are high stakes. So what can we do to help people meet them? Are there bottlenecks we can lessen or behavioral interventions we can introduce? I'm David Yoakum, and today's episode is extra special for us because we're talking about one of our own projects. The lab at DC has been investigating this very question with our colleagues at the DC Department of Human Services. To tell us more, I'm joined by Lab Senior Social Scientist, Katie Gann, and Chief of Strategic Planning and Project Management at DC's Department of Human Services, Steph Block, both of whom led this project. Katie, Steph, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hi. So Steph, I want to start with a question for you, and I want to ask it in the most ridiculous government way possible, <laughs> but I want you to unpack it in plain language for folks. So you work at the DHS ESA administering TANF. What is the first part of that? What's the DHS? What's the ESA? <laughs> Tell me a little bit about where so you work. DHS is the Department of Human Services. And the Department of Human Services in D.C., well, half of it oversees homeless services and other programs for the district and the Economic Security Administration within DHS. We oversee federal benefit programs like Medicaid, SNAP, and TANF. And this is all aspects. So we determine eligibility, we do the case management, and we try and get people to recertify every year. And so what's TANF? Oh, and TANF. TANF is Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. A lot of people know this by the old school term welfare, but it hasn't been called welfare since the 90s after reform. So if that brings to mind a certain kind of program, TANF is cash benefit for families that are experiencing need. So you have to have kids in the home and you have to be experiencing need. And you can apply for benefits with the District of Columbia. And if you're eligible, every month you get your benefits on your EBT card, the electronic benefits transfer card. And you have to participate in job training and in education programs or employment. And that is necessary to stay on the program, reporting your hours in your participation. If you don't participate, you can be sanctioned. And DC is loath to sanction because we know that it keeps money out of the home that's there to benefit children. And we only sanction the parent portion of the grant if you're not participating. And this was a new change recently that went live on April 1. And we're very excited because it's revolutionary compared to the rest of the country to be able to protect money in the home for children this way. The other cool thing that we do is nationally, there's a 60 month time limit for a lifetime limit that DC also as part of our April 1 changes no longer has. So we use local funds to supplement the rest of the TANF benefit for customers going past 60 months. And again, it's to protect money for children in the home. Studies show that around the time when your TANF benefit comes to your house, that children have better grades, better school attendance, and more stability. So this is what we're looking to do for district residents. And that's a great Overview. There's a lot of parts there. I actually want to try to unpack just a few of them and maybe start with a 
description of how you think of the objective of the TANF program. So it's a federal block grant. So the feds give each state money, and D.C. functions as a state in this context. And they said that the state can spend their federal block grant in any one of four ways to have basic assistance for families, to promote job preparation, work participation, and marriage, to reduce out-of-wedlock pregnancies, or to encourage two-parent households. So the objectives in D.C. are to try and get families to reach their full potential and to not be bound by the zip code where they happen to live. We want to make sure that all opportunities are available to them. So if they're participating in our program, they have wide access to many different job training programs, employment programs, and education programs that we've spent a lot of time cultivating so that they can reach their full potential. And so there's really a lot to this program, more than just the cash transfer, which I think is what oh, yes. some individuals think of, but the job training, the other kinds yes. of programmatic aspects. Can you maybe give an example or two of the types of trainings or other kind of experiences that individuals participating in the program get? Yeah, there's lots of different ways to participate in employment and education. So we have programs where you can be studying for your GED or you can be applying to be a chef and get a few days of chef training or a longer chef training. And there's literacy programs and there's pairing programs where we can pair you with an employer that's looking for someone like you. And a lot of this work is really done through the TANF employment program vendors that we contract with. And another thing that DC is doing, which is revolutionary, is in October 1, we're going to launch performance-based contracts. So for these TEP vendors, TANF employment program vendors, we'll also be holding them to the same kind of standard that we're holding our customers to. So customers get bigger bonuses if they do longer and more in-depth training, like a GED program compared to like a two-day food handling certificate program. They'll have a bigger bonus for making a larger investment in their future the TEP vendor will also have a larger financial incentive to help coach customers to these programs that will provide a more stable lifestyle for the future. What are the eligibility rules? I bet these are pretty complicated, but in terms of who the program is intended for? The initial application takes about an hour to complete, so we need all of those questions, and then we can determine your eligibility. To be eligible for TANF, there's a sliding scale. It depends on the number of household members you have in the house. So if you have a family of one, it's different versus a family of 10. If you have a family of three, the maximum benefit would be $6,600 a year. That's the maximum you can have. You can still have $0 of income and then have $6,000 of TANF for the whole year. Do you see the same people who are participating in the program for a long time? Do we have a lot of individuals who are in the program briefly really trying to give a little bit of sense of whether this is the type of situation that anybody could find themselves in. Oh, of course anybody could find themselves in this situation, especially if you look at what happened in 2008 when the economy crashed. Tons of people lost their jobs, and not every state had unemployment insurance that got extended or extended it in the same way that was needed. Anybody could find themselves in a situation where they're underemployed or they had to take time off to be a caregiver in their family and can't get back into the workforce. You know, there's so many life circumstances that could lead to this moment and this critical time in your life. There's something about, you know, working for DHS too. People sometimes line up early to make sure that they're like the first person in line so they could get back to work or, you know, maybe just so they get out quickly. And walking past the line every day just to go to work it makes me realize how close anyone could be to this. There are so many people that struggle with addiction and health issues and caregiving issues and mental health issues 
that any one of these things could hit you and you'd end up being in the same line. So let's walk through a situation where you're an individual, you have one of these shocks to your income. I want to talk through a little bit the process of how you learn about the program, enroll in the program. Let's go through those first steps. How do you actually enroll in TANF? Sure. You come to one of the five service centers that DHS has. They're spread around the city so that there's easy access for anybody to get to. And you show up and apply. The application takes about an hour and we ask questions about your income and your household composition. And after you finish that, then you come back another day or maybe later the same day to the different part of the office where you do the TANF comprehensive assessment. And the comprehensive assessment takes about an hour and a half. And we're asking questions to understand more about what your barriers to employment might be or what your successes in employment could be. So if you have low literacy, you might tailor our case services around that. But if you have a graduate degree, maybe we tailor our case services around what that looks like for you. After you finish your TANF comprehensive assessment, we send confirmation to the first caseworker and that person can improve you for TANF. And then the first of every month, there's money that shows up on your EBT card for a year. At the end of the year, you have to recertify. And that's important because a lot of that initial application, it's checking eligibility rules, but it sounds like you're also doing a lot of kind of scoping out on what are the sort of trainings, what are the sort of other needs that a person might have that if you can solve those problems, they can get back up on their feet and become self-sustaining again. Because a person might just need childcare to help them get back to work, or they might need a nursing service for someone else they're caring for, or they could be in a situation where there's a domestic violence issue where they need to get away and they can't be where they are. And that's part of the reason they can't go to a job is because there's someone there or that could find them. So this is like a full life picture. How do we help you and your specific needs? And one of the cool things about the TANF application, right, for DC is that it's the application for TANF, for SNAP, and Medicaid all at once. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just if I have a need, I have to go somewhere for TANF and I have to go somewhere different and fill out a different form for SNAP. You know, it gets that comprehensive look at what are the services we have that we can offer you based on this one picture. Well, that's the initial application. That's totally true. The comprehensive assessment is just for TANF because that's where we have to provide case management services for you. And so you're going along, your EBT card is getting loaded, you're... Logging your participation hours. You're doing trainings, other events, and you're logging it with your caseworkers. At the year mark, you have to recertify. Mm -hmm. Why do you have to recertify? First off, the federal government wants you to recertify every year. So we have to comply with that. But second, we see that as another way to keep in touch with people and to help them engage if they haven't been engaging. So it also provides a touch point for us to check in on the person's life. The federal government looks at it more as like, is your life situation the same? Should you be getting the same amount? For us, we want to leverage that moment to say, are you engaging with us? Can we engage you in a different way? And how do you recertify? So you come back to the service center and there's another application. It has to be in person. But this application is much shorter. It's mostly filled in because the information is still there. So they check to make sure the information is there. You bring verification that your child is in school. And it's not five minutes, but it's not an hour either. It's much shorter. So there's quite a lot of paperwork and process that's associated with this. That's how the government likes it. (laughs) I might imagine, and this is gearing up to what this project is about, this could be a place where people might struggle to recertify. 
So Katie, to pivot back to you, what do we know about how successfully people are going through this process? Sure. So looking at the first quarter of 2017, so when we were first starting this project in terms of talking to DHS and trying to figure things out, we looked at the data and it looked like 50% of people who had to recertify were actually getting through the process. And then we looked at steps along the way to say, why are those other 50% not recertifying? Is it that they're no longer eligible? They've somehow moved out of the district? That turns out to be a very tiny percentage of the population. There was just this big group, this 49.5% of folks who just didn't come in and we weren't sure what was happening. So then we did some more digging. DHS actually did the digging and looked at the data and said, all right, do they come back in later? Right, is that an indication that they're still eligible? So you do that and you find that about a third of the folks who didn't come in had their benefits terminated, then came in in the next three months or so, next 90 days, to prove that they were eligible to refill all the applications, the long one this time, unfortunately, and they were deemed eligible. So we suspect that they were, in fact, eligible the whole time through and something about the process and the paperwork got in their way. They didn't need TANF anymore. It wasn't that they were no longer eligible. It was that there was something there they got in their way. Right. So Katie, I'm curious to hear now your approach on trying to actually tease out what the pressure points might be. First, looking at the data and figuring out, you know, is it that people aren't eligible anymore? What do we know about that? Part of it was looking at the process step by step. We do what in the lab what's called a behavioral audit, which is to say, let's put ourselves in the shoes of the user and figure out at each step in the way what is the user experiencing? What are the touch points with the government? And then what are the steps that they might have to do internally? And so this might be something as basic as big picture. We went to the service center and said, hey, what happens when you go into the service center? What do you need? What is required there? What does that process look like? How does that feel? We also looked at the communications coming from DHS. There are three official notices that come out from DHS. One is 60 days before your recertification deadline. It's called the initial notice. And it's a long governmenty letter that says you need to recertify and here's how you do that. I'm saying it much more simply than the letter might. At 15 days before you have to recertify, you get a termination notice that says, hey, we haven't seen you yet. Your benefits are terminating. They're ending at the end of the month. And then at the end of the month at your deadline, you get a letter that says, that's it. Your benefits are done. They will not load on your EBT card. Yeah, And I've got... A letter Ooh. in front of me. Which one? Yes. Which one's in my hand right now? You have the initial notice, which so is, is a, that sixty-day notice. So this is sixty days before I need to come back in and recertify. I get this letter, and it's I'm eleven holding, pages. I'm holding an eleven-page document. You I are. Can, I can flip the pages <laughs> for everyone so they can really hear this. I see it's coming from Department of Human Services, addressed to your integrated case number. Oh, there's my name down there. I see on the first page a lot of. Different options, I guess, for language use. I start flipping pages. I'm just going to read the first sentence for folks so that they can really Page live. two is where the money is. Page, Page two. two is so where you focus. So yep. Dear David, your eligibility for temporary assistance for needed families needs to be reviewed. Without this review, your benefits will be terminated. We need the information listed below so that we can determine whether you're still eligible to get benefits. So it'll say, we need the following information. We need proof that you're still a district resident. We need to verify school attendance for 18 and 19-year-old household members. And we need to verify if anybody moved into your household. Please bring the information to the Fort Davis Service Center. It's one of the five service centers. On, and then it gives you a date. 
And then it says, if you cannot go to the service center, you may go to any of the service centers on the attached service center address sheet, which is page, who knows what? 11. 11. There we go. And so what are the kind of things that are on page three through 10 then? Legal notices, required text. It's your rights as a DC resident and DC customer. You can appeal the decision. You can reach out to legal support. It gives contact information for the different legal supports. Helpful things for all sorts of people who might find themselves who don't quite fit in this bucket. So Steph, I'm curious about the genesis of this form, where this form came from. Well, we did a big notices overhaul with a new computer system that was coming in. It was a big modernization. DHS has done a lot of work to, and we've really changed a lot of things under our current leadership. We have a new system, new business process, and part of that was looking at all of the notices. So the text that everybody's saying they don't want to read on the other pages, it's all legally required. The federal government is very prescriptive when it comes to notices, less so for TANF than for other programs. But our local laws are actually also very prescriptive for what needs to be in the notice. And our legal counsel wants to make sure that everybody gets all the information that they need and that customers have access to all the legal representation that they deserve as our residents and that all of this information is available. So there's not much leeway in what the notice says. Not much leeway in the kind of content yes, that needs to yeah, be delivered. Yeah. But potentially leeway in design, at which point, I'm curious, you're doing this behavioral audit. You're meticulously looking through all of the different elements of the, not only the four corners of the page, the process around it that could trip somebody up. Can you give a couple examples of the types of things you think might cause confusion or problems in completing this process? Sure. So if you're looking at this, we then do the behavioral audit on the form itself, right? Not just the process, but also look at the form. And you think, if I'm a user, if I'm a customer of TANF, and I get an envelope in the mail that says DC government on the outside, has my name on the inside, I might say, oh, this is thick. This letter can't be any good. I'm just going to like put it over here to the side and not pay attention to it. I don't know what this letter is, but I'm betting it's not good news. So that might be an issue, right? Once you open the letter, you look at all the language access options and you're like, I don't know what this letter wants from me. I don't speak these languages. I'll just sort of flip through, right? The first page on a letter maybe should be the important stuff. And so we thought, all right, how do we simplify this? How do we make sure that the information that's necessary is upfront and forefronted for people and calling attention to it? On this letter, the first line, which is your eligibility for temporary assistance for needy families needs to be reviewed. That doesn't sound that dire to me. Somebody needs to read my eligibility stuff, right? And then the thing that you see in bold is if you cannot keep this appointment, right, how can we move the text up? How can we highlight that to make sure that people know what exactly is required of them, what the ask is? The ask here is come by a service center and prove your ongoing eligibility. That's not super clear in this letter. And so as we went through each step of the letter from getting it in the mail to opening it to reading through it, and then deciding, oh, right, I should do something with this. This is important. And then, gosh, how many deadlines have I missed? Thinking about, oh, I intend to do this, but I'll do it another day. It's raining. Or I can't make the day that's listed because I have to work that day. That's not a convenient day for me, right? There's just all these barriers that get in the way. And so as we do the behavioral audit, we think, 
are there things that we can do and to adjust our communication so that people understand what the options are and then maybe encourage them in a particular direction so that they know exactly how to get over those barriers. And so based on the behavioral audit, it informs designing a new letter. Yes. Which is also in front of me. Describe for us a little bit this new letter and some of the kind of choices that were being made and how you designed it. Yep. The new letter is envelope-free. Steph spent a lot of time <laughs> putting stickers on this trifold 8.5 by 11 piece of paper, right? It looks a little like a Chinese menu in that it's a trifold brochure, right? We only just, just learned this. <laughs> that you open it to get little stickers so that you think about as you're walking back from your mailbox, can you just slide your finger through it, open it up real easy, you don't need to wait for a letter opener. That basic as a design. On the front of the envelope, it says, we need to meet with you. So it's clear that like this has to do with a meeting of some form. You open it up, at the top it says, your benefits expire unless you renew your TANF eligibility. So right up front, first line in bright red, it says, here's what's going on here. This is why you should read the letter. And then it lays out three steps throughout the letter of like, here's the date you should come in. Here's the documents you need. And it's got little check boxes on it so that people can, as they're gathering their documents, they don't have to think, oh, did I get this one or did I get that one? And like, what do I need? And so earlier I said, we need to verify school attendance for any 18 or 19 year old household members. This came back to, do you have children at your home who are of these ages? And then saying specifically, get a signed form from their school saying they're enrolled. Right, that's a much more specific instruction than prove their attendance. And then finally, we have a step for plan your travel. How do you get to the service center? We have a map there so that you can visualize where am I going? Where's the nearest metro station? Where's the nearest bus station? What does that look like? And then we use implementation intentions there, right, to get them to start planning. So the question is not, it asks, how will you get here? And it says metro, bus, walk, drive, other, and people can fill that in. And the idea here is to say, let's make people start thinking about exactly the steps of what they will do in a familiar way. So the question is not, will I go in to meet and recertify? But it's, how will I go in to meet and recertify? Yeah, and as I look at these side by side, the old letter is a lot of information being conveyed, whereas the new one feels much more action-oriented with a clear list of these steps and helping me get there through checklists and things like that. Yeah, that was the idea. How much does it cost to send another letter like this? Ballparky. It's a stamp. It's a commercial stamp, right? It's printing a full-color piece of paper and a stamp. That's it. So, I mean, it seems like this is a sort of situation where if it works, it could be a really high return on investment. If it doesn't work, though, it's not zero it's cost not zero. and effort. It's not That's zero right. cost and effort. So there is some need to understand if the letter works. And as somebody said to us, the reaction to this was Chinese menu. You know, some people yeah. had different intuitions sure. about whether they would throw this out as spam. Competing intuitions about whether it's going to work, you think, coming into this? What did you actually predict the new letter was going to do? We had hopes. Let's say Steph, we had hopes, but Steph, Steph talk about predictions. What say you and others? I don't know. I guess I didn't stop to predict exactly how many people would be coming in. I just hope more people would come in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
But we didn't just leave this hanging with our intuitions. It's not just intuition, right? A lot of the design things we've talked about are based on the evidence. What have we seen in the field? What's worked in other contexts? What do we suspect? What are the behavioral insights that we have? And then we test. This is the key to the work. We did a random assignment study. So for the households that needed Rooster between July and November of 2017, we randomly divided them into three groups. One group got the standard communications, that initial notice only, along with the standard termination notice, all those other things I talked about. The second group got the standard communications plus this extra letter. And then there was this tweak in that we had this open question on, right, there's some design choices that we had stronger hopes for that I've discussed already, but then there was this open question for DHS of, well, on the initial notice, we tell them to come in on a date. We tell them to come in July 7th, 2017 and say, if you can't make this appointment, then your benefits could be terminated. And DHS did this for a variety of reasons. Some people think, you know, if you give people a date, like think about a dentist appointment, right? I make my dentist appointment six months in advance and then they show up and I'm like, oh, this is a date. I don't have to worry about calling to schedule it or whatever else. I just peg to that date. I say, I'm going to go to the dentist on this date. And DHS also did this for like business process reasons, right? They wanted to smooth out the number of people who go into a service center so that everybody has a good chance of being seen. If everybody of the thousand people in a month who need to recertify show up on the last day of the month on July 31st, it'd be really hard to staff that. But then there was this other question of what if I can't make July 7th, 2017? What do I do then? Am I out of light? Do I give up? Do I say, oh, that's not feasible for me? Or do I try to come in later? And what does that process look like? And so we had two versions of the reminder letter. At the top of one of them, we did it very similarly. We said, this is an appointment, save the date, come by and see us Friday, July 7th, 2017. And then in smaller text, it says, if you can't make this date, you can come by any day, here's our hours. And the other version that we did was an open date letter, which we'd seen in some work in Colorado and driver's licenses that says, here's a deadline, set a date, come and meet with our team any day before your benefits expire in July, 2017. And then we tested those two against each other. So half the people who got the letter got the July 7th letter and the other half of them got the July, 2017 letter, save the date versus set the date. And then if we choose the letter that worked better, we had this question of, is it the specific date, the July 7th, 2017, versus the set a date for July 2017? The open date letter, the one that said set a date, choose your own date, as it were, ended up doing slightly better. Not statistically significant, so I don't want to make too much of it, but looks like it was doing better. How many people participated in the study? We ran the study from July to November of 2017. That included randomly assigning 3,539 people to each group. So each group had about 1,200 folks in it. So what did you find? And maybe first compare the folks who had just the status quo communications against the introduction of a new letter, a new behaviorally informed redesign letter. So big picture, it looks like getting this extra letter worked. And concretely, that means that for that group, who got just the standard communications, just what they were getting before, 39.6% of them recertified on time. But then you compare that to those who got this extra letter additionally, and there were 45.4% of those. So that's a difference of 15%. How does that translate into number of families? 
That ended up being 205 more families over the course of the study that were recertifying that previously weren't. So what would it look like if we had sent that additional letter to the whole population? If we had sent either of the letters to the whole population in 2017, that would have been 706 additional families keeping their benefit. All from sending Sending a letter. letter. Yeah. And the direction on that fact was different than earlier I saw you kind of poll an audience asking everybody what they thought was going to work. And overwhelming, I think, except three people thought that the open date would be better, but 50-something plus people thought the specific one. And that's kind of what some of the deadline literature would suggest. That's right. Would have done There's a lot of medical appointment literature that says make a specific appointment for people. That'll help them. But in this case, it's not really an appointment, right? So people go in, imagine like the DMV. It's an open service center. This is an appointment to meet with a specific person at a specific time. This is the date that we suggest you go by because it might help you remember a date and it also helps us with our staffing. And so you go in, there's a lot of people online. You go there, you bring a letter. It's not an appointment. It's pick a number off the counter, wait for your number to be called, wait to be seen. And so it's slightly different than that medical appointment literature in that you're not guaranteed an appointment. So it might be acting differently. So Steph, I'm curious your take on how meaningful this effect size is, the seven to 800 additional families. Is this a big number to you? Is this a little number? Is this worth it to you? Oh, this is a very big number. First off, our caseload ranges between 11 and 12,000 families. So that's a huge portion of our caseload comparatively. And second, if a family comes in and recertifies on time, that's a whole year of benefits that they have. If they don't recertify on time, maybe they miss a month or two, or maybe they end up missing the whole year if they keep not coming in. But if they come in on time, they have stability for another year. And what that means for a family, I mean, again, because studies show that kids have better attendance in school around the time when the TANF money comes through, they have better grades. Sometimes it means for a family, like a parent just being able to give a kid McDonald's or a pack of stickers because they did well on a test. And those are things that are simple and a lot of people who don't have these kinds of stressors in their life don't worry about buying some stickers, but it might be really meaningful to a child that worked hard to do well on a test to have a promise upheld by their parent and the parent supporting the child the way that they should and the way that we want everyone in D.C. to be able to be supported. Are you using the new letter for everybody now? Oh, yeah, yeah. We've been printing up a storm. So we're keeping costs low, but still receiving the full impact of sending these out. And we're trying to think of ways to apply to other programs. And I've seen other parts of the agency have applied similar principles to their programs. So as going through this design experience, the running of a field experiment, I'm kind of curious, stuff. just as you reflect on the process, how was it? Was it how hard was it to do this? How easy was it? Would you do it again? Oh, of course we would do it again. Well, Katie did all the work, so it was very easy for me. <laughs> I had a team. <laughs> so Katie and her team came to us with this fully designed letter. We just had to make sure it was legally allowed to send it out and check on a few different requirements. And after that, all we had to do was print it every month and put stickers on it and then put it through the stamping machine. So when we scale it up, it could be more difficult if we start adding other programs in, especially, you know, SNAP, we have a caseload in the 70,000s. It's been up as high as 78,000. Medicaid has a caseload of about 250,000. So it'll be harder to scale up. But right now for TANF, we can handle all of this in ourselves so far. 
as you scan other elements of DHS, do you think these approaches would be useful elsewhere? Oh, yeah. We've tried to connect the lab with other agencies that we share data with. TANF is a wide-ranging program, so we share data with other agencies, especially the Office of the Attorney General. They use some of our data to look at child support claims, and they have targets that they meet. So we were talking to them, connecting you guys together, and I hope that'll work out. I hope you guys will do a great project, but it seems like it applies to anybody in the government who wants their residents to engage in their program. Yeah, and I think we've talked about what does this mean for TANF, right? So every time we come to meet with you, I think the excitement is palpable in the, oh, great, can we now test this other thing? What if we tweak this? What if we add in this other way of communicating with people? What if on the initial notice we try out doing not a specific appointment, but a month? I think there's a lot of willingness and openness to continue trying this and learning from it. Yeah, there is. I think... Having the structured experiment, too, there are a lot of smart people in our agency, too, who have been scientists or taken science classes and know what an experiment is. But I think when you're in the thick of the operations on a daily basis and your life is, how do I make sure that this customer is getting benefits today and there's no problems going on with that customer? It's hard to think in terms of, how do I test this out methodically to make sure that the way that we initially thought would be the right way to do it is actually the right way to do it? So that was really helpful to have you guys powering that. (laughs) And I am curious about whether a capacity increase has happened in the wake of this project where for the next letter that DHS has to create or other places where you encounter a letter where you're maybe wondering whether you should redesign and if it works better, do you think you could do this type of design and testing on your own or be more likely to do it? On behalf of myself, I cannot commit my agency to anything. (laughs) My personal opinion, not the opinion of my agency, is yes, I think there is more capacity to do these kinds of things. As an example, we had been doing robocalls all along to try and get people to come in. But now that we've thought about how to structure an experiment, we have broken the robocalls up into people that answer, people that don't answer, and then people that have listened for part of the robocall. So we've started looking at how do we compare people who answer to people who don't answer? And do those people come in? Are they more likely to come in? And we've had some good initial results We'll have to come back to you probably to to verify because you guys are the, the science brains. But we have been looking at things like that and small things from where we can find them. I think the other capacity that's being built is just this idea of doing the behavioral audit, of really putting yourself in the shoes of the users and understanding their experience. And so they've done a lot of work with us and on their own, I think, to really develop that capacity for the TANF employment program, for instance, redoing their forms so that it's less difficult to report the participation hours that staff said was so important because it leads to sanctions, right? How do you do that? How do you simplify those processes and those forms once you're taking that viewpoint and perspective? Great. So for folks that want to learn more about this project and read up about it, where should they go? The lab.dc.gov, our website, will have links to our OSF page and the project will be described there. And then we're looking for publication venues for it. And that'll be the best way to find out about it, as well as our listserv, which you can find from the lab.dc.gov to keep in touch with us. It sounds like a wonderful website to visit. <laughs> <laughs> and Steph, if folks want to learn more about DHS, where do they go? They can go to dhs.dc.gov. 
That's a very nice designed URL. Yeah, they can also follow us on Twitter and on Facebook and YouTube. Ooh. Well, Katie and Steph, thanks for being on the podcast at DC. Thanks, David. Thank you. Ooh, Katie Gann here with one more update before you go on where we've come since this study. This was a joint project with some of the folks in this room, Chris and Minnick, David Yoakum, and Ryan Moore, all from the lab at DC. We did the study in summer and fall of 2017, recorded the podcast about a year later when we had the findings, and here we are two years later, and a lot has happened since then. In the meantime, DHS has done a lot to leverage what they've learned from this work. Ever since we had the initial findings, just the inkling that maybe this was working well for customers, DHS has been sending letters, the more effective one of them, to all families who needed to recertify, and they wholly took over production of them in May 2018. In the time since DHS implemented this evidence-based letter, the monthly number of families who are certifying and continuing to benefit from TANF has increased every quarter. This ultimately increases the stability of families in the district. And beyond TANF, the district is using this work to improve lives of district residents more broadly. There's some 68,000 food insecure district residents who receive Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, benefits each month. This also has a recertification process that's run by the Department of Human Services. Starting in May 2019, DHS started mailing similar letters to SNAP customers and are hopeful that this will further support these residents in keeping their food security. The podcast at DC is brought to you by The Lab at DC an applied research team in the executive office of the mayor of the District of Columbia. The show is hosted by David Yoakum and produced by Nellie Moore. Check out our archive of conversations on iTunes and SoundCloud or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. For more episodes of the podcast at DC, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. If you have feedback or a question for us about this project, record yourself and email your question or comment to the podcast at dc.gov. We'll listen to every submission and answer yours on a future episode of the podcast. 